You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. How are we doing this morning? Good, 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 good. So guys, I don't know about you, but I'm having to change my tune about the season that we're living in. I'm having, to, I'm having to change my tune. There's been a lot of restlessness in our world. Amen? Let me try that again. There's been a lot of restlessness in the world. Amen? Good, good. Okay. And I've been tempted to kind of get into this things are bad and getting worse mentality. But through prayer, I've been asking God to really help me understand the season. Because if you want to understand what's going on, you, you really need God to give you his perspective. And so I've been asking him, and, and I feel like he is calling me to recalibrate my thinking, to think differently about the season we're in. As Carolyn told us last week, uh, this restlessness in our culture that we're going through is what social commentators call the great reshuffle. People are buying new houses, buying new cars, changing jobs, changing churches. You see the restlessness on news media. You see it on social media. And where I think God is challenging me is I think he's challenging me to think differently about the restlessness itself, to, to think of it differently. Uh, in many ways, what if the restlessness is actually born from a desire to see change in our world? What, what, if, what if the restlessness is, is born from a deep, God-given desire to see our world change for the better, but what if, unfortunately, we feel incapable of actually doing any real-world change, and so as a, as a consequence, we just focus on changing our own world, right? We just decide, I'm going to change jobs, or I'm going to change houses, or I'm going to change fill-in-the-blank. What, what if that's what's actually going on? We have a desire to change the world, but unfortunately we feel incapable, and so we wind up trying to change our own world. The restlessness can certainly get misdirected, but I believe that God wants to turn the restlessness into righteousness. He wants to turn the restlessness into righteousness. I believe that God wants to convert this restlessness from making a bunch of changes to our personal worlds to actually being a catalyst energy for making a better world. I want you to think about that. And be assured, I'm not here today to give you any kind of false hope. I'm certainly not here to try to put a positive spin on a very difficult situation that we're all having to live through. But the card is our culture. As, as you've been noticing, the card is our culture. These videos are really introducing these discipleship cards that our age-level ministries work off of. The discipleship, or excuse me, the card is our culture series is a clear invitation to convert our restlessness into righteousness. That's the whole point. And this is converting restlessness to righteousness because it's a righteous desire to long to see a better world. It's a righteous desire. It's part of our created design. Today we're going to look at how we were created to rule the world as God's ambassadors so that the whole earth could experience the goodness and love of God. So what if the restlessness is just a distant echo of our created design? Think about that. What if, the, what if this restlessness is really just a distant echo 
of our created design, resurfacing. Rightly oriented, I believe that the restlessness manifests as a desire to see the city of Evans look like King Jesus. I think that's what the restlessness is all about. To see this city filled with people who truly know Jesus, not just know about him, right? That's the pandemic within the church, right? Is you get way too many people that know about God but don't actually know God. And, and so what if God wants to see a city where people know him, where they embrace his values, they're led by his spirit, they walk in his faithfulness and kindness, in his gentleness and his strength, in his character and in his peace. A people who are living from the fruit of the spirit and, and walking in the power of the spirit. What if that is the city that God wants for the city of Evans. There are, what if that's what he wants for our, our, our city? So the question is, what do we do with the restlessness? How do we convert restlessness to righteousness? How do we go about the work of making a better world? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you want a city that looks like the kingdom of God, disciple people to follow Jesus. Here we go. Let's try that together. Say that with me. If you want a city that looks like the kingdom of God, disciple people to follow Jesus. We're going to say that sentence a lot this morning because guess what? That's the point. That's where we're going. Um, think about it like this. Suppose for a minute that the heavy hitters showed up. By some miraculous dispensation of grace... Let's assume that Mary Magdalene, Billy Graham, uh, Mother Teresa, and uh, John Wesley were all somehow still alive, and they decided to become pastors in the city of Evans. Think about that for a minute, okay? So these are the heavy hitters, right? Mary Magdalene, she was the first person ever commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the resurrection. Um, Billy Graham's arguably the greatest evangelist of the 20th century, uh, Mother Teresa may be the greatest missionary ever to live, and John Wesley is the guru of discipleship. He is the founder of the Methodist movement. So they're all alive, and they all just decide, hey, we're going to be pastors in the city of Evans. Now, I have a question for you. Would we have a city that looks like the kingdom of God? It's good. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. The answer is, it depends on what the rest of us who follow Jesus choose to do. I want you to think about this for a minute. If John Wesley, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, Mary Magdalene came to our city, they, they started churches, they pastored our city, Jesus intentionally discipled how many people? Twelve men, right? If each of them could somehow disciple the same amount of people as Jesus discipled, they would hit, they would disciple 48 people. That's a fraction, less, less than 1% of our 37 plus thousand people in the city. So the truth is, it depends on what the rest of us who choose to follow Jesus do, right? If on the other hand, if the 50 or so of us in this room, if we chose to disciple, to, to be about the work of disciple making, if we chose to disciple just three people apiece and really teach them to walk with God and teach them to teach others to walk with God, by the sixth iteration of that, 98% of this city would be disciples of Jesus Christ. Think about that. By the sixth iteration, 
would be disciples of Jesus Christ. Not just people that go to church, not just people that sing praise courses, but people who actually know how to walk with God, like listen to His voice. They're being filled with His wisdom. They're, they're, they're spending time in the Word, and they're teaching others to walk with God. That would be 98% of your city. That's the city I long for. Amen? And let me say this. So today, we are, we are here to really look at what it looks like to not just be disciples, but to be disciple makers. Because the point is, guys, the kingdom of God suffers greatly when we think disciple making is someone else's job. Right? The kingdom of God suffers when we think, oh, that, that's, that's the pastor's job, or that's the youth pastor's job, or that's Aunt Betty who really loves Jesus. That's her job. Okay, no, no, no. The kingdom of God suffers when we think Disciple-making is somebody else's job. It suffers when we assume that the work of disciple-making is the elite work of Christian rock stars rather than the everyday work of everyday disciples who've chosen to live their lives on the rock. The kingdom of God is designed so that each person is called to the important work of both being and making disciples because if you want a city that looks like the kingdom of God, what must you do? Disciple people to follow Jesus. And that's what this three steps forward, it, that's what these three steps forward cards are all about. It's a simple method for being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. As Carolyn told us last week, we're in some ways essentially planting a new church. And the three steps forward card is essentially about making sure that in this new iteration of Mosaic, every follower of Jesus is being equipped to make disciples. That's the whole point. So that you can live out the Great Commission. And this is how we both become disciples who make disciples who make a city that looks like the kingdom of God. So it's three steps forward. Today we're going to look at step one, which is contemplation. So what I want you to hear today, this is not so much as a sermon as much as it's a teaching of kind of discovering in broad strokes how to be disciples who make disciples. And when you join a life group, you're given a card there, right there. You're given a card, and it's got a reading plan that's going to get you in Scripture four to five days a week. And it's going to help you practice contemplation so you can really get comfortable with what it means to contemplate God's Word well and what it means to help others do the same. So today we're just kind of going to do step one. We're going to spend some time contemplating Scripture because Scripture contemplation is about hearing God speak His intended message through Scripture. And that's a big deal. Not hearing whatever you want Scripture to say to you. It's about hearing what God intends to say through Scripture, which is not always the same, amen? But we're a lot better when we're hearing what He wants to say rather than what we want Him to say. Because um, He's loving, He's kind, and He's truthful. Scripture contemplation is about trying to understand Scripture on its own terms. And this is a really big deal because if you want to rightly interpret a piece of art or a piece of literature, you need to be asking questions that the author is trying to answer. If you ask the wrong questions of Scripture, you'll get very weird answers. But if you ask, if you ask good questions, the biblical author throughout Scripture is they're on some level trying to reveal God, His mission, and His people. Like, honestly, uh, there's... Tons of biblical authors. The, the Bible's really a library, not a book. But if you're looking from Genesis to Revelation, that what the authors are always trying to answer is, what does this reveal about God? 
What does this reveal about his mission? And what does this reveal about his people? Th- those, are the, those are the questions that uh, they're always trying to answer. So with that in mind, my buddy Don Harris is going to come up here and he's going to read some scripture. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1 and just grab a pen. And, and Don's going to read a pretty extended passage. He's going to read Genesis 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. And I want you just to kind of underline things that grab your attention. And is going to have these questions up on the back. And as Don reads, I just want you to be thinking about these questions. What does this reveal about God and his mission? What does it reveal about the people of God? And then when I come back up here, we're going to have a little conversation. We're pretending that we're like in a coffee shop or in a small group room, and we're just talking about Scripture together. So, Don, take it away. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear, and it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds and every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. 
and there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus by the heavens Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Give it up for Don. Don, I tell you, that is, a, that is a godly blessing to our community right there. Don, Don has so much giftedness, and he just gives it freely. So thank you, Don. Um, all right, so guys, again, we're in a coffee shop, or we're in a small group room, and we're kind of discipling one another. We're just, we've just read scripture. We've kind of underlined it. We're contemplating it. And we're going to look at question number one. I, I want to kind of ask you to keep, Answers fairly short, one or two sentences. Don't tell me everything you learned, just, you know, some things, uh, things that stuck out to you. And uh, let's go. So tell me, question number one, what in your reading did you kind of notice about God and his mission? Yes, sir. Yeah, so we're the created. Yeah, he's creator, we're the created, and nothing, nothing in his uh, created order was just accidental. He's, he's, he's thinking about it. That's good. That's really good. Yes, ma'am. God created everything, and it was good. And it was good. That's a, that's a great word. Let's think about this. Thank you. Um, what does it mean for something to be good? 
And God says, it's a lot. So it should be a lot for us, too. Um, anybody got any thoughts on it? What does it mean for something to be good? What's that? Ah, that's right. Something is good if it lives out its created design, right? Okay, a knife is good if it cuts. A pen is good if it writes, right? Okay, so good means it's living out its created order. So, so what I hope you hear in that is we serve a God who's committed to creating things that are capable of living out their created design. That's good stuff. Yeah, man, this is good stuff. Somebody else, tell me, tell me what, what you noticed about God and his mission. Amen. Yeah, like, we didn't get here and then he's like, y'all figure it out. Like, he was caring for us and creating for us before he ever created us, right? That's, that's really good, Matt. Anybody else? Anything that, that you noticed about God and his... Yep. God said. God said. Amen. Amen. It all it's starts with the word. Steve, if you want to preach this message, because that's really good. That's really good. <laughs> guys, guys, what I want you to notice is if you're asking the right questions of a text and your heart is open to the Holy Spirit, you don't have to be a biblical scholar to disciple people, right? We're, we're just asking good questions, and y'all are coming up with great answers. It's a really, really good job. Guys, I want you to notice that in general, God's mission is to form a creation that glorifies Him and enjoys His goodness. His, his general mission is to, to, to form a creation that uh, glorifies Him and, and, and enjoys His goodness. And, and think about it like this. How does a bird glorify God? It flies. How does a fish glorify God? It swims, right? Here's, here's the thing, guys. I used to think, when I would hear sentences like that, you know, we're made for God's glory. It, it used to always strike me as, like, narcissistic. Like, why does God, you know, why does he need that much glory kind of thing? Until I realized this. It's like an artist. The, the mess-up drawings, the scraps, the things that it, the artist throws away, those don't bring him glory. What brings an artist glory is a masterpiece, right? And so as we become everything he designed us to be, as we become the fullness of ourselves, man, we begin to bring him glory. So, so it's, it's, it's a compliment to him. It's also a compliment to us. Your, your life wasn't ma made to be a throw it in the bucket. It's made to be a masterpiece. So every time you contemplate Scripture, you need to be asking, okay, what does this reveal about God? How do I notice His goodness? How do I notice uh, His faithfulness, His justice, His righteousness? How, what do I notice about God in the text? And you also want to ask, what does this reveal about His mission? How is it revealing God's desire to form a creation that brings glory to himself by, by letting us enjoy his goodness. And, and as Matt said, the passage reveals that God was thinking of us. He was providing for us long before we got here. So we're not, we're, we're not created to figure life out, right? We're not created to, to force life by sheer willpower. We're, we're, we're created by a loving Father who is providing for us. Let's get to question number two. What does this passage reveal about the people of God? 
Somebody, talk to me. What does this passage reveal about the people of God? We're deeply loved. Amen. Amen. Somebody else? I like the fact that we get to rule over everything. Hey, we were, <laughs> that's right. That's right. We were created to rule. We were created to rule. That's really good. That's really good. Somebody else? What does this reveal about the people of God? Y'all said the exact same thing. That's awesome. That, that's, that's beautiful. We're made in the image of God. So let's think about that for a minute. Um, what you got? Sure. We can, we, yeah, we, we can have the Spirit of God in us, animating us. And, and, and here's, here's what's interesting. You know, Matt was talking about we were created to rule. Um, we didn't do too hot the first time around, but God never abandoned His plan for humanity to rule. Matter of fact, what He did, He decided to become human so that the King of kings and Lord of lords will, will be, is, and will always be human ruling the cosmos, right? Our older brother, King Jesus, is, is living as the, the ruler of uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So, guys, I, I want to talk about that, that, that idea of being, um, being made in the image of God. Did you notice that when you got to the text and, and Don, Don was reading about God creating man, he said, let us make mankind in our image. That's interesting, right? Who's, that, who's doing the talking there? Let us make mankind in our image. Scholars debate about that, but I think this is the Trinity speaking. I think this is the Father speaking to the Son, speaking to the Holy Spirit. So notice, you're made from a, um, you're made from relationship, you're made for relationship. You're made from love, you're made for love. Have you ever thought about the fact that God, our God, is a set of relationships? He's a set of relationships. So you're made with an incredibly high level of relationality. Also, um, lost my place here. Let me find my place. Also notice that we were made to be fruitful, right? As God filled the earth, as he, as he created and, it, and then he formed it in his, uh, in his goodness, we were made to be fruitful, to fill the earth, right? To take the garden of God and make it the whole earth of God. Like, I think that was God's original vision for Adam and Eve. Uh, as, as Matt said, we were made to rule. So, I, know, I want you to notice this. If we were made to be God's ambassadors on earth, not ruling as dictators, but like King Jesus, as servants, not tyrants, do you hear the echo do you hear the echo of the restlessness we were talking about in the beginning? We were talking about a restlessness to make a world, to, to make change in the world, to make the world look like the kingdom of God. We were talking about that restlessness. We're a people of God who are, who are called to co-reign with God over the creation. So hear it as a distant echo. So grasp the picture here. God, uh, God's spirit hovers over the waters and over the unformed earth, and then he brought order into our world. So also God has called us to bring order into the world around us. 
The restlessness is a distant echo. And this brings us to the seventh day. Did you notice anything different about the seventh day from all the other days? That's an open-ended question. I'm looking for a response. He rested. He wasn't creating. Anything else? Did, did you notice anything else? Notice it didn't say, and there was evening and there was morning the seventh day. We'll get to that in just a minute. Let's talk about this idea of God resting. Did, did it mean that, you know, after six days of creation, God was like, I need a power nap. Is that what's going on here? I like power naps, by the way. Power naps are of the Lord. But is that, is that, is that what's going on here? No. The idea is, um, Sandra Richter talks about how rest implies a king who has been enthroned over a peaceful empire. So the idea is that God is resting on his throne. He's ruling the cosmos. And so what I want you to hear in this is that uh, rest comes over the cosmos as all of creation submits itself to the loving rule of God. Because he rests on the throne, I can rest in my soul. Does that make sense? So, guys, let's talk about our job as image bearers of God. Our job is to help bring uh, the world under his kindly rule, and in so doing, to bring it under the order and the peace and the wholeness of God. So, so let's begin to think about the implications, the everyday implications of this being co-reigners or co-heirs with Christ, ruling the cosmos with God. It means teachers, when you're teaching, you're not just teaching science. When you're being a loving mentor to your students, guess who you're representing? God. You're bringing his order into a fairly chaotic world of middle school. Amen? Okay? It means police officers, when you righteously stop, stop crime and maintain law and order in our world, you represent a God of order who defends the weak uh, and the defenseless. It means grocery store workers. When you supply vegetables and fruits and the other things that we need, you're actually providing God's provision for us in this world. I want you to see your job as living out the original commission to rule over the earth and, and, and to spread God's goodness across the planet. But we also must recognize that if we're going to see peace in our outer world, there actually has to be peace in our interior world. Amen? Peace has to make it here. The word rest in this passage is closely akin to the Hebrew word shalom, which means an interior state of rest or well-being. So how does the sovereign rest of God create a deep interior rest in our hearts? That's the question. How does, how does the sovereign rest of God on the throne create a deep interior rest in our hearts? I want you to go back and look at the passage at the very beginning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Question, how does the world go from being formless, empty, and dark to being beautiful, formed, and filled with God's light and life? Jesus. But in the text, how does it work? God speaks, right? As Steve was saying earlier, God speaks. 
God speaks and the world comes into order in beautiful form. God speaks. The one thing I need most in life is to be able to hear the voice of God speak. So going from how God's voice brought order into the physical creation, what does it mean for the everyday follower of Jesus? Think about it for a minute. What does it mean when we contemplate God's word? When we make space for God's word to speak into our lives? Our lives become filled with the light and the life of God. As God's voice fashioned and formed creation, his voice will also fashion and form my life if I make space to let his voice speak, right? That's what this is about. Unfortunately, the Bible also reveals the opposite is true. If God's voice forms creation, what does the rebellion against God's voice do? It deforms creation, right? It's deforming. The opposite is ultimately true, and, and it happened when humanity, humanity decided to reject the word of God. When he decided that God's word wasn't worth trusting, and he took matters into his own hands, rebelling against God's word, the world fell into chaos. It went from a place of incredible rest to earth-shattering unrest. That's what Genesis 3 is all about, what we call the fall. Guys, I want you to know that the cross, the cross is the great reversal of the fall. The cross is the great reversal of the fall. The truth is that John points back to Genesis when he says in his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The cross is about Jesus, the word of God, being made flesh, again being rejected and despised by us. But this time, instead of the world falling into greater chaos, he absorbed the chaos into himself. When he took the brokenness of the world into himself, he put death to death, and that's what the resurrection is about. The resurrection is about, yes, we rejected the word of God again, but God absorbed the chaos, and on the other side of it, he brought resurrected life. That's the gospel. And it's only as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord, which is ultimately to accept his word. Let me say this, guys. You can claim Jesus and him not really be Lord of your life. Amen. Right? I mean, he even said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So the point is, guys, is, is we accept the word of God, that's when we enter into the rest of God. That's when God's word becomes a living reality in our hearts, that God begins to speak into our interiority and bring peace and order and rest so that we can live from the peace and order and rest that he died to give us. And it's a daily embracing of the word. The writer of Hebrews, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, the writer of Hebrews says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Notice he doesn't say five years ago, nor does he say tomorrow, nor does he say yesterday. He says, Today, if you hear his voice. And then he says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates, even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Today, I need to hear his voice. Today, I need his word to be living and active in my life. Because if the rejection of the word of God brings chaos, the acceptance of the word of God brings us into the seventh day. 
the acceptance of the word of God brings us into the rest of God. And notice, as we said earlier, there is no evening and morning the seventh day. What's the imagery there? It's an eternal rest. It doesn't stop. God is inviting us into that life, but it has to be an acceptance of his word. So guys, if the rejection of the word brings chaos, the acceptance of the word brings us into the seventh day, if we choose to be disciples who make disciples by teaching them to contemplate scripture, then we can see the word of God bring our chaos into order. We can see the word of God bring other people's chaos into order. It's in disciple-making that we partner with God to see people's lives transformed by grace and by the love of God. So, guys, if you want a city that looks like the kingdom of God, what must you do? You must make disciples who follow Jesus. Let's try this together again. If you want a city that looks like the kingdom of God, what must you do? Disciple people to follow Jesus. It's our privilege. It's our birthright as the children of God. That's what these three steps forward cards are all about. It's about a clear methodology for growing as disciples and helping you fulfill the great commission to make disciples. Because in a broken world, discipleship is how we help people become whole through Jesus. So what's your next step? I want you to think about this. What is your next step? Maybe, maybe somebody in this room is thinking, Chris, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm a disciple myself. Like, I don't really know how to read Scripture and how to pray. And, and I would say, I totally get that. I totally get that, and I can appreciate that. I would ask you to consider joining a life group so that you can begin to practice these three steps, really get comfortable with them in your own life. Let God's Word have a rootedness in your own life. And then then as you learn to be a disciple, you'll also at the same time be learning how to make disciples. But maybe somebody in this room, you're like, Chris, I've been praying for years. I've been reading the word for years. I've been walking with God for years. But I'm just, I still don't feel comfortable making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, I totally get that. And I would say that's actually Part of why this same three steps forward system is for adults, for students, for children, because we don't want discipleship to be a mystery. We don't want it to be complicated. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's also not complicated. We want it to be simple, something that you can say, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I know how to make disciples. So I would say, if you're like Chris, I've been walking with God for a long time, but I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to make disciples. I would say, Please join a group and practice these three steps. And then come find me about September or maybe early October. And let's start talking about who God wants you to invest time in. Who God wants you to be uh, a discipling voice in their lives. Guys, the kingdom of God suffers. It suffers when we think disciple making is somebody else's job. But the kingdom of God grows when we believe Jesus' word, where he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Disciple-making is not a job we're called to do on our own. It's as we do it that King Jesus is with us, and he will honor our efforts. 
Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.